Hey, we are so thankful that you're taking the time to tune into Grumlaw Church's podcast. It's our hope that this is an encouragement to you as you draw closer to Jesus. If you'd like to find out more about all things Grumlaw or for more info on our in-person gatherings, you can check us out at grumlaw.com. Now lean in. We're expectant for how God is going to use this time to speak to you today. Well, good morning, Grumlaw Church. As always, I count it as such a privilege to be standing in front of you right now. And right here in the front of this message, I just want to say this. Thank you. Uh, we have walked through some pretty heavy subjects over the last month or so. And, and, and I mean this when I say this. I, I am so proud of this faith community. Uh, my commitment to you will always be to preach the entirety of the scriptures. But, but ultimately, as, as we've discussed, you get to decide what you do with it. And what I've seen over the first five weeks of this series, today is part six of 12, and and thus we're at the halfway point. Uh, What I've seen over the first five weeks is that you are a church who receives truth and and then goes and lives that truth with grace. It's honestly remarkable to me that we could teach on the subjects that we have taught on to this point, uh, and I have not received one negative email, not one negative text, not one negative phone call, not one piece of criticism. And I believe that that speaks to your hunger and desire to root yourselves in God's word. And so I mean it again when I say this, I am so proud of this faith community. Thank you. Uh, Today, uh, as just mentioned, we are headed into part six of 12, uh, which means that if you are new around here, you're showing up a bit late to the party, but but that's not a big deal because uh, we're in the series right now titled Controversial Jesus. And if you haven't been here for every week, uh, I'd highly encourage you to get yourself caught up at grumlaw.com slash messages, uh, or you can find us under Grumlaw Church wherever it is that you grab your podcasts. Uh, This is a series where we're taking a look at some of the more hot button topics that in so many ways are, are defining this cultural moment. And and, and rather than asking, what what do I think about this? Instead, we're asking, what does God say about this? What type of loving, kind counsel does God offer on these subjects in his living, breathing word? See, we, and when I say we, I'm referring to the Christians who are watching the Christians in the room right now. We believe that the Bible is more than just a book, but, but rather it's quite literally God's word. God, or the Holy Spirit, God in spirit, inspired people, men and women, to write down these words, and they've been preserved for us as a sort of guide for life. Think about it. The perfect creator has given the imperfect creation a manual for life, that when followed, it leads to a life that's marked by joy and purpose and contentment and fulfillment, something that we are all, both Christian and non-Christian alike, universally searching for. Now, uh, I don't necessarily expect, uh, if you're just starting to explore, for, for you to take my word for it. But, but I will say, if you got out of bed this morning, c- carved out part of what is likely one of your only days off, that then had the courage to come walking through our doors, uh, I'm guessing there is something inside of you wondering if what the world may be advocating for might be, well, wrong. And not just in a moral sense, but also contrary to the design for creation. That if there is a creator out there, maybe we have wandered outside of his design for our lives. And so in this series, we're looking at what God has to say on these topics, trusting that his way isn't just different, but better. Because remember, this is the God who would freely offer his one and only son as the once and for all sacrifice for our sin problem. That's how badly he wants a relationship with you. 
And, and if he would go to those lengths to win us back, what, what else might he have waiting for us? We've been reminding ourselves of this truth through the first five weeks of this series. God doesn't give commands because he loves rules. God gives commands because he loves you. He puts this stuff in place to protect his most prized creation. That is you and I. Just like any parent puts guardrails in place to protect their kids from from themselves. So so think train tracks, not prison bars. Train tracks to the actual good life. And escaping them isn't freedom, it's it's a train wreck. Now the title of today's message is Jesus and, and Abortion. And as we dive into this topic that can be quite heavy, uh, I would love to just pray for us right now. Heavenly Father, uh, as I've been praying throughout this series, I just pray for softened, humbled hearts today, uh, that we would uh, be in a place where we are ready to receive whatever it is that you would like to speak to us today. You're a good, kind, gentle Father, uh, and it's in your name we pray, amen. Uh, In John chapter 8, Uh, It's one of the four biographical accounts of the life of Jesus. We have some of the very words of Jesus preserved for us. And uh, one of the things that you pick up on as you read through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John uh, is that Jesus would often speak in a very straightforward way. Uh, And this is certainly no exception as he's addressing a rather large crowd of people. Everywhere that Jesus went, these massive crowds would follow and and just want to listen at the feet of Jesus. Uh, Here he says to us, for you are the children of your father, the devil. And you love to do the evil things he does. He, speaking of the devil, was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. And when he lies, Jesus says like, hey, it's consistent with his character for he is a liar and the father of lies. See, Jesus himself goes out of his way to tell us that we are either for him or against him. There's no such thing as, it, as neutral ground when it comes to following Jesus. You're either for him or against him, even if you've never thought about it in those terms before. You are either a child of this world, or as this passage would say, you are a child of the devil. And actually a quick footnote on this. Um, we don't like to use that kind of language because it sounds so incredibly harsh. I mean, can you imagine saying to a friend or a loved one or a neighbor, hey, I, I've been thinking about this. You're a child of the devil. But, but, but it's interesting to note that for about the first 1,500 years post Jesus' resurrection, Christians had no problem using this type of language. Here's my point and why I share this. You have to imagine that this is intentional on the part of the evil one. That, that by avoiding this type of language, lies become more palpable and easier to accept. That's just, that's just kind of bonus material. You're either a child of this world, you're either a child of the devil or, or a child of God. And, and the devil's native language, as Jesus points out here, is, is lying. This has been his primary mode or role of leading people away from God and thus God's design since day one. You might actually recall his words to Adam and Eve. God delivers to them this paradise, the first two people. And he says, hey, all of it is up for grabs. In fact, it is a gift for you, my most prized creation. However, there is exactly one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you must not eat from. Otherwise, everything else is up for grabs. And along comes the devil. And he whispers into their ears, did God really say, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? He, he calls into question whether God is really for humanity. Adam and Eve, is he really for you? He, he plants that seed of doubt. 
a, a lie straight from the pits of hell. And, and in a nutshell, th- this is all that we're really talking about in this series. D- d- did God really say marriage is between a man and a woman? D- did God really say there are only two genders? Did God really say money is to be leveraged for his kingdom? Did God really say to honor those in authority? It's Satan speaking his native language of lying and in turn leading people away from God's design. The design that, oh, by the way, leads to the life that we are all universally searching for. And of all the lies that Satan would have society, that this present moment in history believe, hook, line, and sinker, I cannot think of a more gut-wrenching example than abortion. Where the greatest infanticide in human history has been successfully relabeled and recast as reproductive justice. I'm about to borrow some language right now from one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of John Mark Comer. In fact, in his recent book, Live No Lies, which I've been highly recommending to this faith community for the last couple of years. Uh, the sheer nerve to use the word justice to refer to the dehumanization and notice the language of fetus is exclusively used versus the language baby. It's a sub-lie and the bigger lie. That the nerve to use the word justice to refer to the dehumanization and destruction of millions of children is inexplicable. That the moral reasoning here is staggering in its complete break from logic, wisdom, and yes, even science. And yet, Yet, it has widespread social acceptance. Even more, it's celebrated as a form of liberation and a human right. And if you dare insinuate that this thinking is rooted in convoluted logic or that it's scientifically or philosophically indefensible, which it is, society would label you as regressive or worse, oppressive. We live in a society, and you've probably picked up on this, where choice, desire, and sexuality free of responsibility are all more important than human life. But babies aren't seen as human souls, but rather unwanted responsibilities to be terminated. There's a British journalist named Antonia Senior, and she penned an article for the Times titled, Yes, Abortion is Killing, But It's the Lesser Evil. I want to read to you her conclusion. She says this, My daughter was formed at conception. Any other conclusion is a convenient lie that we on the pro-choice side of the debate tell ourselves to make us feel better about the action to take a life. Yes, she says, abortion is killing, but it's the lesser evil. She goes on to end her case for abortion in the name of women's rights with this chilling line, you must be prepared to kill. And keep in mind, this is happening in an era renowned for equality and inclusion. It defies comprehension how this spirit of justice has not extended to these unborn children until until you remember the spirit that is behind all of this, the the devil himself. See, the devil isn't creative. He he uses the same tricks. And, And throughout human history, he has historically attacked two things in every thriving society to lead people away from God. Healthy human sexuality, we we spent three weeks talking about that, and and babies. Yes, he attacks babies. I've mentioned this before, and and I recognize if you're new to church, I sound like a conspiracy theorist wearing a tinfoil hat, but but stick with me. Uh, In the Old Testament times, that is kind of the first half of the Bible, uh, there was a pagan god named Moloch. 
Uh, and he was worshipped, you ready for this, by burning newborn infants as a sacrifice on his altar, that this had widespread acceptance. In, in the time of Moses, you fast forward a little bit further, there was an edict for males under a certain age to be put to death. Fast forward a little further, Jesus is born. Herod, intimidated by the fact that the Messiah might have actually arrived on this earth and he's going to somehow dethrone him, he issues an edict to slaughter all baby boys under a certain age in a certain area. Right now, what is happening? Abortion. Satan is up to his usual tricks. As a church, and mind you, that the position on this issue amongst the historical church has been remarkably consistent. We talked about this earlier in the series. When we see a departure from the historical teachings and theological convictions of the big C, capital C church, we should approach that with caution, not celebration. Here is why as a church, we are unflinching in our protection of the unborn as human beings created in God's image. I wanna first begin by looking at this from the scientific and logical perspective. Scientifically, the human embryo from the point of conception forward is already a whole human entity. As Dr. Maureen Kondik, a professor of neurobiology at the University of Utah states, Embryos are not merely collections of human cells, but living creatures distinct from a group of cells. Embryos are capable of growing, maturing, maintaining a physiologic balance between various organ systems, adapting to changing circumstances, and repairing injury. Mere groups of human cells do nothing like this under any circumstances. And keep in mind, as some will surely try to accuse me, this isn't a minority opinion. Every scientific textbook recognizes that human embryos are not merely an extension of the woman nor a collection of cells, but rather independent human beings. And so if they're not human, what, what else could they be? Scott Klusendorf helpfully points out that many of the distinctions that are made to imply that the unborn are not human enough to be deserving of the protection of life fail to hold up with even the slightest application of logical consistency. He uses something called the SLED acronym to show the inconsistency of saying that unborn babies aren't people yet. With each letter standing for something that pro-choice advocates bring forward to deprive the unborn of their humanity. The S stands for size. Uh, you were obviously a lot smaller when you were an embryo. But, but when has body size ever determined value? Uh, this would be like saying my sister-in-law, uh, Jillian, whom I love deeply, she's about five foot nothing, uh, is less of a human being than my wife, Andrea, who has a solid nine inches on her. The L stands for level of development. Uh, you were, again, obviously less developed as an embryo, but, but so are toddlers less developed than teenagers. So the question then becomes, per those on the pro-choice side of the aisle, what level of development quantifies as a human? It is an inherently lazy argument that serves itself as a house of cards. E stands for environment. Uh, to this I would say, where you are has no bearing on what you are. Think about this just very logically. Does an eight inch journey through the birth canal change the essential value of the unborn? What exactly is the difference between a baby 10 minutes before birth and one 10 minutes after birth, such that we are allowed to kill one but, but not the other? D is degree of dependency. It's often stated that unborn babies rely on their mothers for survival. But, but does dependence make a person unhuman? Those with disabilities have a higher degree of dependency than others, as do the elderly. Newborn infants left alone would die within days, if not hours. Humans are humans, not by their function, but by their nature. 
When you push the reasoning of pro-choice advocates to its logical end, the results are horrifying, and I chose my words intentionally there. Peter Singer is the famous Princeton's bioethics professor and staunch pro-choice advocate. Uh, And for example, he, he said, with a straight face, that parents should have the right to terminate their children until they are two years old. Now, it's rather hard to process that anyone, let alone someone who who is influencing others, would utter those thoughts out loud. And so most people, including those on the pro-choice side, reject his conclusion. But think about this. Isn't it just taking the logic to a necessary end? As Peter Kreef, professor of philosophy at Boston College says, name for me one argument for abortion that cannot be used to justify infanticide. It becomes very apparent that then when looked at logically and scientifically, abortion is exactly what it appears to be. Murder that has been justified because human beings don't wanna be inconvenienced or have their freedoms infringed upon. Now, before I move on to the biblical case against abortion, uh, spoiler alert, God's diametrically opposed to this. Uh, I want to address a couple of red herring arguments that have taken center stage in this cultural moment. Keep in mind that this isn't meant to be an exhaustive list, but rather uh, what I have observed as a most popular list. Uh, When I use the term red herring, I'm referring to those arguments that, that only distract us from the issue at hand. Is the unborn child a human or not? A common question is, what about cases of rape or or incest? Uh, I want to first say, I cannot imagine the pain involved with this. It it is truly unfathomable. But but in thinking about the preborn, we have to keep perspective. It's worth noting that this is a common argument brought up from the pro-choice side, which if you follow them down this train of thought, the question should be asked, okay, fine. If we can all agree that cases of rape and incest are okay, Can we then agree that all other reasons for abortion are wrong? At which point you will be met with blank stares and quickly recognize that they're singling out rape and incest as a way to justify all other forms of abortion, which is an inherently lazy argument. It's worth noting that these kinds of tragic and heartbreaking cases make up less than 1% of all abortions. But, But the bigger point here is that a person is not defined by the circumstances that brought them into this world. But we have to stay focused on the central question. Is the pre-born baby a person? And if they are, how they became a person is irrelevant. That little person in the womb, even if they were conceived among the most heinous and perverted circumstances, that little speck, initially no bigger than a period at the end of a sentence, has more value than all the planets and stars in the vast cosmos. God lovingly made them, Jesus died for them, and they have an eternal future. Another red herring is, hey, what about this? I, I have a right to my body. Nobody, at least from, from my vantage point, on, on the pro-life side is arguing against that. But, but does your right to your body include taking the life of another for the sake of convenience? Aren't there competing rights at stake? But what about the rights of the unborn child? And our rights to our bodies are relative as far as the law is concerned. For instance, prostitution is illegal in most states. You can't pour illicit drugs into your body as you see fit. Our our rights to our bodies are relative, stopping precisely when they begin to affect others, such as the unborn. 
And the last question that I'm often posed with as a pastor is, hey, aren't we putting those who have miscarriages and ectopic pregnancies at risk when we seek to ban abortion? Uh, This question has really come to the surface even more with the overturning of Roe versus Wade. Uh, Very simply in response to that, no, we are not. Simply put, this is fear-mongering by those on the pro-choice side. Pro-choice advocates have done a rather masterful job in successfully labeling all pregnancies that don't end with the child emerging alive from the birthing canal as abortions. Miscarriages, for instance, are often referred to as spontaneous abortions, procedures where ectopic pregnancies are terminated or referred to as tubal abortions. And this is an intentional muddying of the waters by pro-choice advocates. Less than a quarter, for instance, of OBs perform abortions. All of them treat both ectopic pregnancies and miscarriages. Organizations such as the American Association of Pro-Life Obstetricians and Gynecologists make it abundantly clear that restrictions on elective abortions have nothing to do with miscarriage care. My wife and I, we have walked through miscarriage. And I will readily admit to you that it was far more difficult than I would have ever imagined. As a person that knows that life begins at conception, that there was significant grief involved. For those walking through this right now, we understand your grief and pain, but more importantly, your father in heaven grieves with you. He longs to enter into that pain with you. He's not a God who keeps you at an arm's length. He enters into our pain and our sorrow. So we've looked at it from the logic and the scientific side. Uh, now let us look at it right now from, from the basis of scripture. For the followers of Jesus in this room, and I'll be quite direct, it, it is impossible, impossible to come to any other conclusion than the unborn are indeed people created in the image of God when you actually pick up and read this book. Bible writers consistently talk about unborn babies in this way. One example from King David. He says, you made all the delicate inner parts of my body and knit me together in my mother's womb. Or take, for instance, John the Baptist, uh, the individual who would pave the path for Jesus himself. An angel would come to his father and declare, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking of John the Baptist, even before his birth. Not only was John the Baptist alive, but God dwelt within him before he emerged from the birthing canal. It's also interesting to note, I actually found this very, very fascinating. Maybe some of you will nerd out on this with me as well. It's interesting to note that the Hebrew word, a language which is, mind you, far more robust than the English language. So if they wanted to come up with separate words, they could have very easily done so. That the Hebrew word for child is the same whether the child is outside or inside the womb. In Genesis chapter one, it says there that, so God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. All human beings are image bearers of God. Meaning God, quite literally, places a part of himself in every human being. And this happens upon conception. Furthermore, scripture goes out of its way to explicitly condemn those who take innocent life. Declaring it actually as an assault on God himself. Which probably shouldn't surprise us since we stand apart from all other creation, again, as his image bearers. You come over, for instance, steal my car and and wrap it around a tree, I'm definitely gonna wanna have a conversation with you. You come over, take my kid and end up taking my child's life, that that is going to be a far different conversation. I, I wanna wrap up in a couple of ways right now, but by first addressing those who have walked down this path. 
It's undeniable that abortion leaves victims. Not only the child that deprived of life, but often you, the mother, who can't escape the regret of the decision. To those of you who have had an abortion in the past, we understand that this message isn't easy. We recognize that you are hurting. And my intent today was certainly not to make this harder than it already is. Rather, my goal is to help prevent others from experiencing the same pain that you are enduring. If abortion is part of your story, you need to know that we serve a savior who died so he could make us whiter than snow and whose resurrection has the power to restore beauty from ashes. Each one of us on some level has dismissed the value of human life. We may have had different ways of doing it, but we've elevated our desires over the life of another. Furthermore, the entire human race rejected and murdered Jesus. Yet through that murder, God brought salvation and restoration. But because of that, there is no tragedy, no mistake that he cannot redeem, no sin that he will not forgive. Through the victory of his resurrection, he can make all things new. None of us need to live a second longer trapped in the past. If you had an abortion, your baby is with Jesus today. And both Jesus and that baby forgive you if you will receive it. To the rest of us, I wanna direct our attention to the book of Psalms. That there it's written for us, how long will you hand down unjust decisions by favoring the wicked? Give justice to the poor and the orphan. Uphold the rights of the oppressed and the destitute. Rescue the poor and helpless. Deliver them from the grasp of evil people. Church, this message isn't merely about believing the right things. As followers of Jesus, standing idly by by shaming those who have had or would consider abortion, that's not our call. But being pro-life as a follower of Jesus, that's, that's not good enough. We're called to behave in accordance with those convictions. We're called to be, as it says here, rescuers. And here's how each of us, if, if you would call yourself a follower of Jesus, are called, are invited to be involved at some level. Uh, first, we're all called to, to pray. Our work shouldn't end with prayer. It, it should start there. It's our greatest ally in the battle for life. When Roe v. Wade was, was overturned, I have no doubt that that was the direct result of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people regularly praying for, for the life of the unborn. Uh, for some of you, you should consider this a calling. See, God doesn't call every Christian to be involved in every cause equally. But, but for some of you, God wants to make this your cause. He'll put ministry to women considering abortion on your heart and you'll get involved in their lives while you advocate protection for the unborn. For others of you, you ought to partner with an organization advocating for pregnant mothers and their children. I was actually kind of surprised to find this out when I was researching for this message. There are around 100 crisis pregnancy centers throughout Michigan, and many of them right in our backyards, and they need help. Studies show that 85% of women considering abortion would change their minds if they were allowed to see an ultrasound of their baby. And, and these organizations make that possible. And, and still for others of you, we're called to foster and, and adopt. 
See, a, a rather lazy argument from pro-choice advocates says, hey, if, if you care so much about these unborn children, then why don't you bring them into your own home? And, and the quick response to that is, we do. C- Christians out-foster and out-adopt every other population segment. In fact, we more than double anyone else. But it, it doesn't mean that we don't have room for improvement. Uh, approximately 5% of practicing Christians will adopt. Ch- Church, can you just dream with me for a moment? How transforming would it be if this church tipped the scales in our counties? How much more would that speak to our communities than any outreach event that that we will ever do? Uh, There's a church that I'm familiar with down in Birmingham, Alabama called the Church at Brook Hills. And uh, while this church was being pastored by a guy by the name of David Platt, uh, he challenged and and invited that faith community to say, hey, this is a calling that, that scripture clearly outlines. W- what if we as a church began to take those mandates seriously and, and we led the charge in our county with foster care and adoption and, and by the grace of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, literally there were no kids left in their county that were eligible for foster care and adoption because in one Sunday, The church at Brook Hills had 160 families step forward and step into adoption and foster care. Why can't we be that church in our communities? And I wanna challenge you like a friend of mine challenged me years ago to stop praying about if this is something that you are called to. I think so often we use prayer as kind of a crutch to delay what God has already prompted in our lives. Let's rather as a faith community run with the assumption that this is something that we get to be involved in. Run with the assumption that that you're supposed to get involved in this work unless God tells you otherwise. And and, y'all, I'm telling you as a person who has obviously cares deeply about this and walked through this personally, it, it is the greatest joy and adventure that you will ever go on in your life. In James chapter one, verse 27, this is actually the very end uh, of this chapter. And then James, who's actually the brother of Jesus. So think about that. He's off to the next thought. He says, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. And, and you read that and you're like, okay, is he, is he gonna expound upon that? And he's like, no, that, that's it. Just, just you as a follower of Jesus, go, go live that. But the cry of the pro-life movement is don't kill them. The cry of the follower of Jesus, it goes further. We want them. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you're good. We thank you that you care deeply about the unborn more than we ever could or ever will. We, we thank you that the thing that we so often, you know, pound our fists and, and cry out for, demand justice, is something that you promise over and over and over again throughout your word. And so, God, we thank you that even uh, in the midst of of a culture that feels so out of control, you are very much in control. You're not panicking right now. You're not going, what are we going to do? Like, you you know, you understand. You, you, You care very much about the details of our lives. We thank you, God, that there is nothing that we can ever do or say that will put us outside of your grace, outside of your forgiveness, outside of your mercy. We thank you, God, that when we turn to you and seek forgiveness and we repent, like you are quick to extend that mercy and grace that we frankly deserve the least. I ask God that we as a faith community would be a people who, who again, I pray this every single Sunday, we would be a people who respond in obedience to what it is that you have laid on each of our hearts. I'm trusting God and praising you 
uh, for the lives, that the countless children's lives that, that will be transformed, the mothers that will be transformed because of how this faith community steps out into this world and shows you to our community. You're a good, kind father. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.